This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with General Daryl Williams, U.S. Army retired and current president of Hampton University. General Williams uh, retired after 37 years of dedicated military service. General Williams now serves as the new president of Hampton University. President Williams, welcome to Leaders and Legends. Elaine, thank you so much for the, uh, the invitation. It's really an honor to be a part of your show. Thanks for reaching out. President Williams, you have been in public service most of your entire career in a very distinguished military career, I might add. What inspired you to go into public service and what particularly drew you to the military? You know, I'll be very, very honest with you. I left uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm from, in 1979 and came to what was then Hampton Institute. I came from a family of uh, nine children of very modest means. And when I came to school, it was very clear to me that I had about enough money for one year, and I was looking for a way to stay in school. And so I joined the uh, Hampton Reserve Officer Training Corps program, ROTC, uh, where I expected, uh, honestly, to spend my four years of time after paying back my ROTC scholarship and then go into what I thought would be a career as an industrial psychologist. Uh, Somewhere along the road in my military career, I really bought into this idea of service before self, and it became a lifelong passion. And that's how I ended up in public service for so long. Wow. Can you describe your leadership style? You know, over the years, you've been able to command huge amount of people. Now you have this uh, responsibility as uh, the president of Hampton University with thousands of students. Can you describe your leadership style? Well, you know, in addition to my time in the uh, military after I retired, after those 37 years, uh, I did go on to a brief time in corporate America for about two years, where I worked for a wonderful information technology company called Lidos, uh, who gave me the opportunity to explore my leadership talent uh, at the corporate level, and then spent the last year uh, at Lidos running a logistics operation in the United Kingdom. And so I've had an opportunity to test my leadership principles at the very tactical level within the military, at the strategic level, at a place like Defense Logistics Agency, where there were 26,000 employees and annual revenues of about $40 billion in the corporate setting, and now here at Hampton University. And to your direct question, uh, I believe my leadership style is collaborative, meaning that You seek to gather as much information as you can about critical decisions. And then once you've gathered that information, done the right amount of analysis, then it's important to be very, very decisive about the decisions that you make and make sure there's 
a governance process in place to execute those decisions. And so I would call my style uh, collaborative but decisive. You, uh, uh, you probably have faced some pretty big obstacles along the way. I mean, 46,000, uh, 26,000, I'm sorry, uh, troops. Um, how do you deal with situations where the obstacles are, are are really tough and you need to get through? How do you, do you change your leadership style in that case? It's a great question. It really is. And you know, I'll just talk about the twenty six thousand that you mentioned. They most of them, quite frankly, were not troops uh, at the Defense Logistics Agency. Ninety nine point nine percent. Uh, 99.5% of them actually were civilians, and there was actually a, a fairly modest size military portion of the Defense Logistics Agency mission. But I think the approach to leadership and the approach to decision-making doesn't really change. I think uh, the principles that you apply uh, at lower levels are just as applicable as they are at higher levels. Of course, when you run a multi-billion dollar organization or when you're at an, an academic institution, the instruments that you use to exercise decision making are a little different, but I think the process is the same. And for me, the process is merely uh, doing everything you possibly can to gather the facts of the situation. In my view, nothing replaces getting to ground truth of what the situation you're really dealing with are. So you want to gather the facts. And then I think uh, once you have the facts, and depending upon how much time you have in order to make the decision, then you want to develop a strategy and a plan uh, to execute. And then I think I've always been a big proponent of, for big, important events, making sure that there is an adequate rehearsal in order to make sure that you execute uh, your plan very, very well. And so that's a, a mental process that I always go through, no matter what organization I'm a part of. Obviously, it changes based upon context, the amount of time, the amount of resource you have in order to uh, make a decision. Let's, let's double click on that context comment, President Williams. You know, we're facing a very different and challenging time. We're, you know, just recovering from the pandemic in the country. The country's feeling pretty divided. There's some social injustice um, uh, things that are that seem to be uh, happening more and more. This is impacting everyone across the world. People are looking for clarity, communication, and they need that courage from leadership. Um, what do you think a leader needs to do during these types of crisis? What qualities do you believe is required for today? Well, uh, you know, one of the things I've, I've thought long and hard about uh, over the course of my career are, you know, what are my individual qualities and what qualities in general I do believe that leaders need to possess. And so in difficult times, in my view, one of the most important things for a leader to remember is to be calm and to inspire confidence and to, as I indicated earlier, be prepared and to develop a plan. And so what I would uh, hearken back to in terms of one of the very large and complex 
decision-making environments that I was a part of was at Defense Logistics Agency at the very beginning of the COVID crisis. At the beginning of that crisis, um, the agency was responsible for providing some of the uh, equipment and supplies that were required for the entire Department of Defense and in certain areas for other uh, aspects of the federal government. As you'll recall, it was a very, very uncertain time and no one really knew where the pandemic was headed. And yet we're responsible for making sure from a supply standpoint of view that our troops and civilians, not just in the United States, but around the world had the personal protective equipment and supplies that were needed to uh, ensure their safety. And so uh, being calm in that environment and then working with, uh, with the, the Pentagon and working with all of the other services, the military services and non-governmental agencies to make sure we did the very best that we could do uh, to provide was, was very, very critical. But in that instance, I thought it was important in a very chaotic environment to remain calm, to gather the facts, and to inspire confidence in those that you lead. Was there an event or person that inspired you, had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Maybe that is what you're drawing on for your style today. I'll give you perhaps um, a truthful but unorthodox answer to that question. And to this day, I believe that uh, perhaps my mother had the largest impact on the leader that I believe that I have become. And so my mother, who uh, passed some 30 years ago, I think had the largest impact on the person that I am and my approach to leadership. So as I indicated, we had a very, very large family of nine children and um, probably over 100 grandchildren, great, great grandchildren. And so my nieces and nephews and so forth. And what I witnessed in my mother was her ability to be collaborative, but decisive. It was very, very clear uh, that she was the real strength and head of our family, uh, certainly along with my father, but my mother uh, in particular had a real passion and love for family. You know, that whole approach of family in terms of any organization that I'm a part of, whether it was a, a platoon or a 45-person uh, organization when I was in the military or at a defense logistics agency or at a Lidos uh, running a very large logistics organization internationally and then certainly here at Hampton University. For me, the issue of family, treating the organization as a family, has been very, very important. And I believe that I have taken that principle from my mother. I, I would say on the professional side of things, I really have more mentors than I could count. Uh, if I think about my experience here at Hampton University as a young student and being a member of the ROTC program, I think back to a gentleman by the name of uh, now retired Sergeant Major Bernard Lloyd, who always told cadets and students that if you wanted to be an Eagle, 
you'll have to fly alone, meaning that sometimes it's very, very difficult to make tough decisions, but you have to be prepared to make them and to be accountable. I'm speaking with General Daryl Williams, U.S. Army retired and current president at Hampton University. After a break, we'll discuss leadership, decision-making, and communication, and why it's important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with General Williams, U.S. Army retired and current president at Hampton University. President Williams, what is the most important type of decision in a leader in your organization can make? We talked a little bit earlier about how you approach decisions, but what's the important types of decisions that a leader can make that can really affect an organization? You know, I'll, I'll answer that question by saying up front that I believe that that people are the secret sauce of success in any organization. It's not uh, the things that you do. It's not even the circumstances that you face. It's the people that I've always believed that you have to take care of if you want things to turn out in the right way. And so to that end, in terms of the most important decisions, I've always felt they've been around making sure that you spend the proper amount of time uh, developing, uh, cultivating, mentoring people and making sure that you get the right people into your organization uh, when you're in a position uh, to hire. And so I like to start there, focusing on getting the right people and then treating those people with the proper level of dignity and respect, investing in them so that they will buy into the organization. I think it's also important that uh, that the people buy into you as the leader. And they only buy into you once they realize that you're there, not for your own interests, but for the interests of the organization. And that you're also there to make sure they're able to fulfill their hopes and dreams. And so I think the number one uh, decision for me is always an assessment of and making sure that you have the right people. You can't um, pick up a management book these days uh, that doesn't talk about empathy and the need for empathy um, in your leadership style and your management style. How do you feel about applying empathy in the workplace? Well, I think empathy is very, very important. But what should not be lost is empathy does not imply uh, lack of accountability. And so at the end of the day, no matter what organization you're in, and of course, I've discussed the fact that I've been in military organizations and then even within the military, predominantly civilian organizations, I've been in corporate settings, and now I'm here in the academic setting. And I think in all places, there is clearly this area for, for empathy. Uh, at the same time, there has to be accountability. And often I think what gets confused is this idea that empathy means um, that you don't necessarily hold people or yourself or the organization to account. But in every organization that I've ever been in, there are what I would call these moments of truth where 
uh, if you show the right amount of empathy towards an employee that happens to be going through a difficult time, if you show the right amount of empathy, those employees, when they recover from the circumstance, actually become some of your very, very best. I think it's also important, the example that you show as a leader within this realm of empathy and how that pervades the culture of the organization. And so I think it's a very, very important concept. It's, it's one certainly that I've tried to emulate. And I think it actually enhances your ability to accomplish the mission. It doesn't detract from it. But on the other end of that scale is also accountability. You've had a very successful career making an impact on our brave men and women in the military. What accomplishments are you most proud of that you were able to leave a team to accomplish during your career? Well, there are, are, are many, and it's hard to single out any one. But I would, I would hearken back, I think, to an experience back in the 2007 timeframe when our nation was uh, clearly at war and we were encountering something called the surge in Iraq, if you'll recall. And I was a, uh, a young colonel at uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia, and it was our return, our uh, turn to rotate to Iraq with uh, what we would call a brigade or about 3,000 to 4,000 uh, soldiers and quite frankly, a joint organization that had uh, service members from all other organizations as well. And we were deploying to Iraq for about a 15 month period of time to a very, very pivotal point in the operation. And we were stationed in Northern Iraq uh, very, very dangerous uh, situation. And what I was proudest of was the way in which our leaders and our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines performed. I was proud of the way that we were also able to take care of our families while we were gone and do our very, very best to bring each one of them back home uh, safely and soundly. And so I was very, very proud of our uh, participation as a military organization and fulfilling our responsibilities, wearing uh, the cloth of our nation and doing the very best that we could to fulfill our mission. And at the same time, uh, taking care of our families that we had left uh, behind. And I think we did our mission very, very well. You know, it was, um, uh, during that time also that I really got to see the true essence of what I think leadership is all about. There were so many occasions and so many small and medium-sized operations that required leaders at all levels to do their jobs. And I was so happy that we had the training that was needed in advance to operate at such a high level and do it as safely as we possibly could. And so that was a very pivotal point, I think, in my life. And when I really understood as well the responsibility and the mantle of leadership 
in some very, very difficult and challenging times. You know, I could pivot that into uh, times when I served at the Defense Logistics Agency and other uh, areas uh, within my military career, and some very, very difficult and challenging times in my civilian workforce career uh, supporting operations for the United Kingdom. Uh, I've only been here on the job at Hampton University now for a few months. I'm sure those days will come because in every leadership position, you encounter those moments of truth. And I uh, feel confident and I hope that when those times come, uh, the leadership experiences I've had in the past and my approach to leadership will make us Hampton University successful as well. Is there anything you wish you knew before you started on, on some of these journeys uh, or anything you wish you could do over? I wouldn't say do over. I would say some things that were reinforced to me. And I think the reinforcement, and it happens every single time that we go through these circumstances, is that the strength is really in the people. Certainly you as the leader provide expert guidance and counsel. You provide vision for the organization. But at the end of the day, you must invest in your people because when those challenges come that I talked about, they're often in places that the leader of the organization cannot directly impact at a moment's notice. It's really people down inside of the organization here at Hampton University, it's it's the groundskeeper who notices uh, a small situation occurring on Hampton's campus and reports it to the university police. Or, you know, in a military context, it's the soldier in the back half of the formation in the trail platoon that ends up being the re real hero for the organization and saves many people's lives. And so if there's anything that continues to be reinforced with me is this concentration, not just at the leadership level, but at all levels within the organization, and that every person's job is as important as mine. If that person fails to do their job, I as the leader can't get mine done. That principle has served me well, no matter what organization I've served in, and no matter what level, investment in people at all levels. I'm speaking with General Darrell Williams, U.S. Army retired president of Hampton University. Coming up, we'll talk about how leadership affects culture. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with General Darrell Williams, U.S. Army retired and president of Hampton University. You lead an organization that helps shape tomorrow's leaders, Hampton University. What led you to become the president of Hampton University? Elaine, you have a, a talent for asking great questions. And this really is one. And I'll be honest in telling you that this time last year, um, being the president in Hampton University was not something I thought I'd be doing a year later. But I am so glad that this opportunity presented itself. And so 
several things drew me back to Hampton University. And it had to be a very strong draw because as I indicated, I was working for a wonderful company called Lido's who presented me with some wonderful uh, opportunities. Uh, my family and I were very, very happy in our post-military career. And we were looking forward to uh, that life. And then I received the call to interview for the job at Hampton University. And throughout the interview process, it became evident that uh, Hampton had something to offer me that I never thought before. And I felt that both I and my wife, Myra, who's now the first lady at Hampton University, had something to offer to the university as well. And so some of those things that I bring are, first of all, an amazing curiosity uh, about lifelong learning, which I think is what this university and other institutions of higher education are all about. I think I bring the ability to lead large, complex organizations. At the end of the day, the vision for Hampton University now is to deliver the number one student experience in America. But to deliver that experience requires, I think, an enterprise approach. We're always going to be the standard of excellence. Uh, we're always going to deliver uh, a wonderful world-class academic experience. We always have, we always will. Um, but it's an enterprise. To deliver that experience requires an interface, obviously, with our students, with our faculty, our staff, our alumni, other stakeholders. It requires fundraising. It requires a lot of things. And I think my, my background lends itself to managing that complex set of activities that delivers the experience that our students demand and that they deserve. I think being an alum of the university is also uh, an attraction for certainly myself and my wife. And I believe it was an attraction uh, for the university uh, for us to return to our home by the sea. And so those are some things I uh, uh, strongly believe that were uh, a part of our decision-making process and while, while we are so delighted to be back at a place where we can impact the lives of thousands of young people on a daily basis and watch them grow and to flourish in the same way that Hamptonians since 1868 have been doing. And as I look at and interface with our alumni in every corner of the United States, and in some cases throughout the globe, they talk about the wonderful whole life experience they received at this university. And that has been and continues to be very, very inspiring to me. And then I would say perhaps uh, the last thing is that I feel an obligation to give back a little of what this phenomenal university has given to me. When I arrived here, as I indicated in 1979, I had no idea that one day I would be back as the president of the university. But it was only made possible by that experience 
and all of the experiences that I've had in between. And so who wouldn't want to be the president of an institution like Hampton University and be part of the standard of excellence and to help deliver that uh, number one student experience in America. We are delighted. Well, it sounds very personal. You and your wife both graduated in 1983. Has Hampton University changed? And um, certainly it's gotten bigger and offers a ton more programs. It's an amazing university. But the essence of the organization, has it changed or do you see it needing to change to change with the times? You know, it's changed and then it has stayed very, very much the same. And I think that's what's so wonderful about it. Hampton University is a wonderful blend of both legacy and history and a view towards the future. And so in terms of our legacy and history, many know that uh, on Hampton University's campus sits the Emancipation Oak, where the first Southern reading of the Emancipation Proclamation was read. Hampton University is a place where one of our esteemed alumni, uh, Booker T. Washington, went and founded another institution in Tuskegee. And every uh, major phase in Hampton's history uh, is replete with leaders who've answered the call, not just for this area, but for our nation. And so our history is replete with those kinds of examples. We have a museum on this campus that is the envy of uh, one of the very, very best museums in the state of Virginia if not the entire United States for the kind of art that we have here. We have a beautiful historic chapel that was built by students that were here at the Hampton Normal and Agricultural School as it was called when it was founded. And yet there is this view towards the future and what we bring. We have a world-class Hampton University Proton Therapy Institute. We have weather satellites in space. We have a wonderful marine biology program. And so um, when I thought about all of those things, the clarion call of Hampton University was so strong that it was almost impossible to ignore. But those are some of the things that I think about and that we're so happy uh, concerning our return to the university. One thing I'm hearing over and over again, there's a theme about caring about people. And as you said, the secret source of any organization. I've also read you uh, say that if you take care of the people in the culture, the mission will be accomplished. Tell us what you mean by that. It's as true today, for me anyway, as it was when I beginning, when I first began to learn about the principles of leadership, and I really think the fundamentals are what very, very important. And at the core of those fundamentals really is this idea of if you take care of the people. So it's interesting. Uh, I have, I had this thought when I was in the military and when I was with organizations that were strictly army, strictly soldiers, I would say, uh, if you take care of soldiers, the mission will happen. And then when I went to organizations that were uh, not just soldiers, 
but sailors, airmen, marines, a joint experience, if you will. I changed it to, if you take care of the troops, the mission will happen because that encompassed a broader set of individuals. And then when I went to an organization that was predominantly civilian, it became, if you will take care of the people, the, 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 the mission will take care of itself. And then when I come to, uh, uh, went to the corporate sector and now into Hampton University, the same principle applies, although I have to adopt uh, a different language to communicate what I believe is important. And in all of those instances, uh, the focus really is on the people. And so for some, it's a different way of looking at things. Many concentrate on the mission and the people are merely an adjunct to the accomplishment of the mission. And while I do subscribe to that to a certain level, I do believe that um, if you concentrate on the people first, my experience has been they will never let you or the, uh, the mission of the organization fail. I think it's so important to the culture of an organization for not just the leader yourself, me, the president of the university, to be concerned about people. It has to go from the very top of the organization to the very bottom. And it is that teamwork that you learn in, um, in organizations, I think, that ultimately makes the organization care as much about itself and accomplishment of the mission as they do themselves individually. And so it is a very, very important principle in my mind concerning how you lead organizations. Now, I'm not saying that my approach to leadership is necessarily appropriate for everyone. Um, but in terms of the things I believe about leadership, there are things like authenticity. I believe that being authentic to yourself is very, very important in terms of your leadership style. And this issue of focus on people is authentic to Daryl Keith Williams. It may not be authentic to everyone else. I believe this idea of providing vision for an organization, the organization having a clear set of priorities and an understanding of what it's there for and why, and not just looking at the short term, but the longer term vision and mission of the organization. I think the idea of leading with passion and with competence is something else that I very, very much believe in. And excellence, I think, in any organization and accountability and resilience and all of those things are principles that I believe in and I attempt to uh, and that I attempt to practice. But those are my thoughts really about leadership. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today we're talking with General Williams, Army retired, president of Hampton University. Next, we'll find out what General Williams' advice is to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and I'm talking with President Daryl Williams, uh, president of Hampton University. Sir, as you have gone through your career and your journey, probably your approach has changed from management to leadership to even priorities. What's your thoughts on that? 
Well, my thoughts are that leadership is a higher calling than than management. So for me, I think you you manage things and processes. You lead people. And that would be the distinction for for me that you again manage things and circumstances and processes. Leadership implies an interface with people. President Williams, you've had such an amazing career in public service. And again, I want to thank you for your dedication in the 37 years of military service and now your responsibility to help you know, build tomorrow's leaders. But over the last few years, there has been increased social unrest due to some social injustices. You have not only reached a very rare rank of a three-star general, you're also one of the few African-Americans to reach this rank. Can you give advice to the next generation on how to handle these times of prejudice and how to overcome them? Uh, thank you for asking a very important question, uh, Aileen. I really uh, appreciate it. You know, as, a, as an, as an African-American in our nation, obviously this takes on a very personal context. And so when I think about some of the events that have happened surrounding George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and the fact that uh, those incidences could just have, have easily happened to a member of my family, um, it does take on a very personal context. And so I tend to think about it in that very personal way. And there is a very emotional reaction to it. And then you also think about it in a professional way, I think, uh, is the advice that I would talk to them about. You know, the fact that I am a uh, retired three-star general, uh, president of Hampton University, does not absolve me from the possibility of those kinds of things happening to me or to a member of my family under the same circumstances. I recall an incident concerning uh, our son when he was a uh, junior or senior in college, and I think driving uh, at night with one of his friends and was pulled over uh, by the police just because um, uh, they thought that perhaps he looked a little bit suspicious. And we thought about how that situation could have turned out uh, very, very differently. And so the fact that as an African-American, you have to think those kinds of thoughts uh, when you're pulled over for a routine traffic check is, uh, is a real injustice here in the United States of America. But then I think on the professional side of things and as the leader of an organization, there's also this professional responsibility to make sure that organizations approach the issue of treating people with dignity and respect at all times. And so in all of the organizations I've been a part of, I've tried not to shy away from the reality of that issue. And it's not just issues related to African-Americans, it's issues of all kind of treating people with the appropriate level of respect that each and every one of us would demand and in fact deserves. And so, uh, I am an advocate of the fight for continued social justice. It's what my uh, forefathers fought for. 
it's what I will continue to fight for. I think about the lives of my mother and my father. My mother was, uh, had a seventh grade education. My father had an eighth grade education. My mother was a D, uh, was what we called a day worker in Palm Beach, Florida. My father was a doorman at the famous Breakers Hotel in, uh, in Palm Beach, Florida. And I think about the sacrifices that they made to help bring me to this point. And although they've been gone for over 30 years, I know that their expectation of me and my generation of people from my family is to continue to stand up and fight for social justice. And so th those are my reflections and thoughts on it, both from a personal and a professional standpoint of view. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been President Daryl Williams, retired three-star general. Uh, general Williams, I, I just want to thank you for your 37 years of service and what you're doing for the country today. And thank you for sharing some very valuable advice. Thank you for uh, the invite and a very reflective discussion and the ability to uh, hopefully impact the lives of others in a positive way. This uh, journey of, of, uh, of service to our nation and uh, leading our nation's uh, finest young men and women in uniform. And now this transition to, instead of taking care of soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and uh, Coast Guardsmen, to taking care of students is a very, very natural transition for me. I always throughout my military career wanted the very, very best for those who worked for me. I admired in so many ways the leadership of the young officers and all of our non-commissioned officers within the military services were so very professional and in many cases held my life and the lives of our military personnel in their very hands. I, I, I think about those days and I think about how that now pours into what we want to do here at Hampton University. The mission remains the same. We wanna pour that same love and commitment into our students so that as we say here at Hampton University, when they leave here, their lives will do the singing. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't thank uh, my wonderful wife, uh, Myra, uh, her, um, her love and dedication to our nation has been and continues to be as strong as my own. At every point in my military journey, she was there, uh, walking through some of the very same sacrifices, and in many cases, some that were far greater. And I think her impact on our soldiers and their families and what she's done for our nation is every bit as important and as impactful as my own. And then I'd like to thank my uh, two children, Jocelyn uh, Williams, Cooper and Colin Edward Williams for the sacrifices 
that they have made over the years to allow me to uh, and their mother to do this service to our nation. There is no service at the highest levels without some level of sacrifice. But there have also been the great times, the really great times. And I want to thank all of those who continue to serve in our armed services, who are still providing the safe and secure environment within which the rest of us are able to operate. And so I would say those things as I uh, began my journey here at Hampton University and giving our students the very best that higher education can afford and to delivering the number one student experience in America. And so with that, I say thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.